Welcome to Future Work, the podcast where we bring you practical tips and insights on the ever-evolving landscape of work. Join us as we explore the trends, innovations, and challenges shaping the way we work today and tomorrow. Hey everyone, welcome back to Future Work. Today we're kicking off our second season with an extra long episode featuring Professor Nick Bloom of Stanford University. I feel so honored to speak to Nick who has been researching work from home for over 20 years. Nick has been heavily involved in policy, including meeting President Obama and speaking at the White House 2014 Working Family Summit. And Nick isn't just collecting and analyzing data on tens of thousands of employees. He also consults with hundreds of CEOs and managers at the largest company in the world. His work has been covered very extensively by the New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, CNN, BBC, The Financial Times and The Economist. He was called the Prophet of Remote Work by Fortune Magazine, America's Best Work From Home Expert by Business Insider. He was elected to the Bloomberg 50 and maybe most importantly, he was named as one of our 55 top remote thought leaders. Today, Nick and I talk about why the media is often wrong about hybrid and remote work, what people really want from work, why the office as we knew it is never coming back, and what the opportunities are for employees globally now that work is becoming more remote. So let's dive in. All right, so Nick, normally we always dive into practical insights and advice for our uh, target audience, but with you especially, I would love to hear a little bit about your journey because you've been researching and advocating for work from home for more than 20 years, starting from when you were at uh, McKinsey. So how did you get into it and how did you stay with this topic all this time? There must have been times where you were the only one talking about this topic. And did you ever want to quit talking about work from home? It was a kind of a weird journey. There's two different genesis of this. One is, that's right, a long time ago, more than 20 years ago, I worked in McKinsey. And when I was there, I started doing work on management practices. And I left McKinsey, went to academia, first at London School of Economics and more recently in Stanford. And there's a lot of work on management. And part of that is, you know, performance management systems, monitoring evaluations. But there's another component of it, which is being nice to people, which I think of as like flexi time, maternity leave, job sharing and work from home. And work from home was particularly interested in because one of four kids, when I grew up, both my mom and dad worked full time. And so they used to, you know, try and work from home between them in the school holidays. They're both my dad was in the NHS as a doctor and my mom worked in the UK government. So it wasn't like, you know, they're reasonably well paid, but it wasn't a super high-end job. Hmm. I, I had an experience. I remember, you know, in the 80s, there was no computers. These were, you know, there wasn't great. It was shuffling pieces of paper. And so for us, like, I remember my parents' pain, you know, of having to bring this stuff home. And I just kind of got into it. And over time, you know, I was doing a bit of work. And the other thing that was a bit of a spur on was the event with Marissa Mayer. It got banned in 2013. There's a huge amount of policy and media interest around that. And also, I was very fortunate to have a student in Stanford, James Liang, who was the co-founding CEO and by that point, chairman of C-Trip, like a massive global travel agent. And they wanted to downsize their Shanghai headquarters and were thinking of sending the call center workers on to work from home, at least what we'd now think of as hybrid, so a few days a week. So they did a big randomized control trial that I got involved in. So, you know, 
to be honest, there was no big general plan. Mm. There was a lot of random small nudges that led me to start working on it 20 years ago. So you were involved in this topic for so long. And like you said, maybe by happenstance, you ended up meeting the chairman of C-Trip. And then you did this like really famous paper on their experiment, basically, about sending some people to work from home and others in the office. And you started seeing at that point already that actually working remotely is totally fine. It can totally work. But that was still way before the pandemic, way before other kind of companies started experimenting with it. So what have the last couple of years been like? And again, you as the one that has been studying this for such a long time, does it feel that you were just waiting forever to finally people to realize that working from home is totally okay? I, you're never quite sure if you trust your results. So just to explain, from 2010 to 2012, we ran this large randomized control trial of around 500 people in Shanghai in, in C-Trip's call center. And what we did is we took them, these are all volunteers, and we randomized them by even and odd birthdays. So if you happen to have an even birthday, so you're born on the 2nd, 4th, 6th, 8th, 10th of the month, you got to work from home four days a week, and you have an odd birthday, you had to keep coming in full time. And, you know, the reason the firm did it back then was it thought, well, we can save a lot of space, but work from home employees would goof off. And their question was, how much will they goof off? Like, you know, will they work a lot less, in which case it's a bad idea, or maybe not much less? We ran the experiment, crunched the numbers, and what you found is work from home employees actually work 13% more, which is like massive increase. That's crazy. And you know, everyone was like, really? You know, you double checked it. When you went to interview them, it kind of made sense because it turned out they said, look, going to the office and back is really time consuming. I'm working more time. I'm often late. It takes longer to have lunch, takes longer to have mm. toilet break. I can concentrate, blah, blah, blah. But having said that, you know, roll it forward to 2015, 2018, 2019. I was surprised there wasn't more take up. But then another view is, look, we've done one firm, one experiment. Maybe there's something unusual about Shanghai in 2010 or, you know, something about the firm. So when the pandemic struck, I was probably more optimistic than most on work from home, but I definitely wasn't. You know, even I was amazed about how well it's worked out. I mean, if you look at the bottom line from the pandemic is we've got in America, say, from 5% of days work from home mm -hmm. to almost 30%. So it's a six-fold increase, and it doesn't look mm -hmm. it's going back. This is a permanent change. And every business person, you know, manager, policymaker says, well, look, it's not clear that fully remote is what you want. You may want hybrid, but certainly we're not going back to five days a week, professionals and managers. Nick, I love that you said that we're not going back to the office five days a week. I'm a firm believer in giving people more agency, more autonomy in the workplace. And we need to become more employee-centric. We need to allow people to design their work around their life instead of the other way around. So where exactly do we stand now with hybrid and remote work? What are you seeing in the data? I would say for anyone listening, particularly if you're running your own company, Maybe allocate your employees into three groups and let's go through them. Mm. So the first group is folks that have to come in every day. Turns out, I know the data for Europe and the US, that's about 60% of the entire labor force. So, you know, take Stanford University, just to use an example of my employer. Folk, the people that do cleaning, security, food service, transportation, these people have to come in every day. This is not an activity you can do remotely. So that's group one. And there's really not much choice about it. In the long run, maybe, but for now, it's kind of fixed. Group two is a lot of professionals, managers that are settling into hybrid. Hybrid is, it looks something like Monday, Friday, you work from home. It's quieter time that, you know, it's more like reading, writing, analysis, one-on-one -on -one meetings like this. 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're in the office. It's more lively. It's more mentoring, more group meetings, problem solving, trainings, presentations, etc. That seems to work pretty well. The evidence on that is it's about net zero on productivity. You can think of arguments in both directions. I've looked at a lot of data. It's about zero effect overall. Mm. And the huge benefit is employees really like it. They value it about the same as an 8% pay increase. So if you're a firm, yeah, I, as I talked to hundreds and hundreds of firms, there's no reason not to. And there's a good reason to, which is reduces quick rates and makes it easier to hire. So if I think of Stanford, faculty, a lot of the administrators, managers, they're all on hybrid. Then there's a third group, which is fully remote. Mm. That's kind of the most mixed group, but mostly by headcount, that's about 10%. So fully in person, 60%. Hybrid's about 30 Fully remote's about 10 Fully remote, most of that 10% across, you know, around the world is a lot of folks in like data processing, call centers, HR benefits, payroll, a few or more higher-end IT coding, journalists, copywriters, you know, authors, et cetera. If I think at Stanford, we have, I think, of, you know, about a thousand fully remote employees. They've been great, but they tend to do things like IT support. Mm. And if it gets really complicated or I need the hardware fixed, they'll hand over to somebody local. And the motivation for fully remote, it's dramatically cheaper for the university. So an hour of fully remote time, you're not paying for any space. That saves 10, 20% straight off. Mm -hmm. And you can hire these folks globally. So, you know, the last person I asked where they were and they're in the Philippines. So, you know, you can imagine you can get an amazingly highly talented person in the Philippines, probably paying two thirds you can of what you get in the US and, you know, you get a better employee. So those three, I think, all make sense. And they're all slightly different fit. And most large firms have all three of those types in their company. Yeah, that was one of the things that in one of your most recent presentations really stood out to me, that we're really not talking about you're either a remote company or a hybrid company or an in-office company. For most companies, they'll have to embrace all of these different models for different groups of people. I have to point out one thing about what you just said. Did you say it's like an 8% pay increase? Yeah. People perceive it as valuable as it, that's incredible. Yeah, it is. You know, so to put a, where does that number come from? We surveyed now in 38 countries. We've surveyed, we maybe asked across those countries in the US, maybe 200,000 people this question. Mm. And you get pretty accurate numbers. There was actually interesting a research paper back in 2017 on this, and they found a very similar number. Another way to look at it is I did a randomized control trial a year and a half ago. We randomized people into hybrid in China or fully in person. When they're randomized into hybrid, their quit rate went down by 33%. So people really like it. You may think 8% pay increase is a lot. If I flipped it around, I could say, look, what happens when you go to hybrid? Let's say you can work from home two, three days a week. First off, you avoid something like four to six hours commute, or three to four hours commute a week. We know from survey data, there's these happiness surveys going back decades. Even Danny Kammerman, who's the Nobel Prize winner, has done some of these. And they're amazing. What you discover is, the second most unpopular thing in the day when you ask people about it is work. People don't like working that much. That's why you got to pay them a lot of money to do it. <laughs> the most unpopular thing, even more detested than work, is commuting. Commuting. So yeah. people love commuting. So first strike, you get rid of the worst activity in people's day. Plus, you save them a lot of money, and now they can also live further away, and you know they get rid of that stress and hassle. So I'm not surprised. I mean, it's funny. You should think to yourself: I had a job, one paid. 8% less, but I only had to go in two days a week and the other one paid, you know, the base, but you had to go in all five, which you take. If it were me, you know, it's a, I mean, that's a tight call. If you're only having to go in two days, you can live further out, have a home office, more space, better neighborhood, mm -hmm. more free time. 
I don't know. And I mean, this is why in the data we see that's about, you know, that's about the average number. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And definitely I would take the uh, the 8% pay cut if it meant that I can work in my current schedule. And by the way, we're also two days per week in the office, fixed days that we choose with the team and then three days from home. Or in case of me as the founder, uh, five days working from home. So a lot of models out there and that's what we currently see. That's the current kind of like distribution where do you think it's heading in the future? What kind of models will you see kind of grow in size and which models will we see maybe decrease? Will we eventually all work from home completely? Will we somehow still go back to the office? What do you think is the model that's going to be most popular? Great. Okay, so why don't I give you a kind of a three-year and then maybe I'll hazard a guess at a five or longer year horizon. So in three years, I think we're looking at basically a Nike swoosh. So a Nike swoosh in the sense that if you go back you know, a year or two, you see work from home levels are falling, falling, falling. In Europe and the US, work from home levels have almost stopped falling now. They're kind of flat. Mm. And running next year, and certainly the year after, 25, 26, I think they'd be rising again. Why is that? There are two huge long-run factors that are pushing up work from home. Mm. Number one is technology. So we have data going back to the 60s on levels of work from home, and it was, you know, pitiful. It was half a percent of days back in the 60s. Wine life forwards a bit. You get to the 90s, personal computer comes along, it's easier to work from home. Then you have laptops, you have the internet. Around 2010, 15, you know, the cloud starts to come in. Skype was a bit earlier, Zoom calls, etc. So what's happened is technology is getting ever better and it's making ever more effective to work remotely. And that's still continuing very much. So, hmm. you know, Apple's headset or better software or camera. So what fact one is technology is ever pushing work from home level up. Fact two the growth of new firms. So what we see in the data very clearly is young firms, new firms tend to be much more remote. You know, the, the latest generation of folks coming out of college, they want a university venture in the late market. They want at least one or two days a week remote. They mostly want, you know, three days in the office. They just don't, they don't want to be fully in the office. Those companies and those people, as they grow and mature, are going to be tomorrow's medium and bigger companies, tomorrow's kind of CEOs and managers. So both of those forces are pushing up. So I think it's pretty clear it's flatlined really in the US. You know, the next change of direction is to head up. In terms of what things will take off, mm. bullion person, I think, is slowly withering away. So I saw a great piece in the USA Today, actually, earlier in the week, I liked a lot, talking about some jobs you never guessed could be fully remote. So one of them is when you drive through a fast food restaurant in America, you shout into this loudspeaker to give your order, and then you drive up to the window, and there's someone that hands you your hamburger and fries, whatever it is. Turns out, I didn't realize that many of the people taking that order are remote workers because you don't need the person that's listening to the order to actually be in the restaurant. Why would you? No way. You know, they can be anywhere. Turns out it's much more efficient to have, you know, 40 restaurants served by a pool of folks because they can all, you know, whenever there's someone at the loudspeaker, you're there. You're just, you know, economies of scale. So fully in person is slowly going to slide back. Hybrid, I think, will grow because more and more jobs will discover there's a nice mix between in person and from home. Fully remote is a tricky one to think about. Hmm. So I think in the US that may shrink, partly because of offshoring. So when I talk to American and European companies, they kind of say, look, if I can have someone do remote IT, why would I have that You know, in the US? I can do that in Argentina or in Nigeria or the Philippines, wherever it is. And the other big driver is AI. So if you think of kind of automation computers, Software is way ahead of hardware. Mm -hmm. So, Dad, if I was trying to like replicate you, I could probably replicate your voice and maybe fool someone for a little bit that was you with some, you know, chat GPT type thing if I trained it enough material. 
I could never physically replicate you. You can't, you know, there's nothing even close to it. The robots that look like humans are vast, clunky, hulking machines. Yeah. So anything that's going to be automated, it's fully remote jobs where you don't need a physical presence. So if you think of call centers, hmm. data entry, this kind of thing. So I think the future is a lot of hybrid, a lot, a lot of hybrid. Hmm. In Europe and the US, a big chunk of in-person, not much fully remote. And probably in Asia, South America, Africa, where wage rates are still a bit lower, fully remote will live on. But it's really, that's going to be battling AI. I think if I, you know, if I was working in a call center, the next five years are safe. 15 years from now, I think I'll probably be replaced by AI. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And and such an interesting thought about, you know, how do we measure remote work, for example, right? You could measure it by how many roles in a company are remote. That may stay very consistent. But if you ask people in the US, what is your role? Maybe the number of remote roles will will decline because, yeah, if it's remote anyway, why not bring it to you know our part of the world right here here in Asia, where you can probably get like very similar skills for a much lower price, right? And I think reversely, that's a great opportunity for our region to suddenly move from you know you have to find a job here and you have to take a paycheck here. If you can market yourself well and if you can be on a platform and you can find an employer in the U.S. or find an employer in Europe and get a job there. It's obviously such a huge opportunity for people here as well. So hopefully it's a win-win for everyone. I just wanted to ask you a question because you talked about younger companies, right? If a young founder comes out of university right now, quite unlikely, unless you're Sam Altman, to say everyone has to be in the office five, six days a week, right? Whereas maybe in older companies, there's still sort of some uh, nostalgia towards the time that we were in office. We also recently did some research where we asked actual managers, like hybrid and remote managers, you know, are you seeing some of the problems that we keep hearing about in the media, like challenges around productivity and creativity and innovation and teamwork? And the, the answer was flat out no. Only 2% of managers and across all age ranges said that they experienced these challenges. So what is that gap between what we hear and what we read in the media about companies saying you have to go back to work and the Elon Musk of this world and the actual people managing hybrid and remote teams? What is that big gap? Great. We survey 10,000 people every month in the US and about 50,000 globally. What you see is this hump-shaped desire in work from home. Hmm. So if we take people from 20 to 65, 20-somethings don't want to work from home. They typically want to work from home about a day and a half a week. They want to come in three and a half days a week because they want to get mentored. They want to socialize. And in fact, their homes are normally small, crowded apartments. So, you know, they're staying in with flatmates and it isn't that appealing. If you look at 50 plus, they also tend to want to come in. They're kind of used to coming in. They, they're, they're empty nesters. Their kids are out of the house. The group in the labor force that's most keen on work from home is 30s to 40s because they tend to have younger kids. Yeah. Even they, they want to work from home. Maybe you're looking at one and a half days a week in, from 20s and 50 plus and more like two and a half days a week in you know, 30s and 40s. The other thing is people ask, well, look, how does that statement square up with the Elon Musk's and the Jamie Dimon's and David Solomon's? Well, I think there we're talking about elite CEOs that are running massive companies, mm -hmm. and they are a tiny fraction of the population. But they're a very particular fraction of the population because they're the fraction of the population that happily work 100 hours a week. You know, These are people whose life is work, who are totally focused on work, probably in order to get there, all they've done, you know, there's the story about Elon Musk working 130 hours a week. So if you love work, you want to work every minute, 
that you have, you know, you can't keep you away from work. It's not that surprising you want to be in the office five days a week. But they are not representative. You know, we know in large surveys of hundreds of thousands of people, the typical 50-year-old is not like Elon Musk or David Solomon. They typical 50-year-old wants to go, you know, work from home a day and a half a week. So that's where the other disconnect is. It's these, you know, CEOs who are very selected. The reason they're there is they love, love work. And so, you know, they're not surprisingly not particularly happy to work from home for a day or two. But it still seems that even though that's a very small group of CEOs, which I totally agree, it still seems that the media loves to pick up these stories of companies getting people back into the office every single time. We just had Zoom a couple of days ago. Every single time one company says, okay, you have to kind of work in the office again, that's then the big headline. Yep. And that's then always the proof that you know remote work doesn't work, hybrid work doesn't work, we have to go back to the office. And it just seemed to be a narrative that keeps <laughs> perpetuating. Totally right. And it's why data beats anecdote. Mm. So I'll give you this phases I've seen. Phase one, I can remember well, because I was doing a lot of media then as well, which is back in May, June, July, 2020. You know, you can cast your mind back. You know, that seems like more than three years ago. I know. Back then, what was revolutionary is Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg stood up and said, Facebook is thinking that this work from home thing may stick around maybe a day or two a week, you guys. was And everyone's like, wow, and the media made it. So the media back in May, June, July, 2020 was full of stories about how the whole world is going to fill your remote. Looking at the microdata, you could see already by June and July, companies were starting to call people back in because the very worst of the pandemic was starting to pass. Mm. So in reverse now, you know, everyone's fed up with those stories. What they love is a contrarian story about X is hauling people back into the office. I know from having looked at the data in the US, our monthly 10,000 a month, the census has 40,000 a month. The castle has swipe data where you can see people swiping it in and out. All of those three data sets are completely flat for 2023. We're no higher mm. in September 2023 than we are back in the beginning of the year. What does that tell you? It tells you, as you say, the media is picking up on what's more interesting. Honestly, if I was a journalist, and my career and my progress is made on clicks, comments, and forwards of my article, I would probably do the same. So I totally get why the journalists are doing it. You know, they care as their career as much as everyone else does listening. And if we want to change that, we as the general public have to stop frantically clicking on articles that say X has returned to the office. Find the occasional one that says X decided to work from home and click in it all 20 times. And maybe you'll change the narrative. That's the job to be done for us. Yeah, super interesting. So data over anecdotes, couldn't agree more. Definitely, we should look at what's actually happening in the world and not follow a couple of stories. But again, us humans, we love stories. So when we see an interesting story, we will click on it. So now we know we're being duped. Even though we may say that most people love working from home at least some days per week, even though we can now say that the data is also showing that that is the way that most companies are going. What are some of the challenges that still exist in managing a hybrid company or in managing a remote company? What are some of the challenges that, you know, you do a lot of quantitative research, you look at your panel of 10,000 people, but I also know you speak to a lot of company owners, you speak to a lot of people. What do you still hear in terms of where is it not working quite so well yet? I'll answer then. Dan, I should throw it back to you. I'd love to hear what FlexOS finds on this, actually. So we should split this question. But the one big challenge, I, the one big battle I hear is like what I call coordination versus choice. So let's you know line up these armies on two sides. So on the coordination side, there are folks, and in fact, the data sh supports this, that say people, when they come into the office, the really the reason they want to come in is to work with their colleagues. In fact, we've surveyed people, and here you see the overwhelming by some huge margin, the reason people want to come into the work 
is to work with and socialize with colleagues, much as the reason I want to work from home is to avoid the commute primarily. So that pushes you in favor of coordination. You know, if we work together, there's not much point you in on Monday, Tuesday, me in on Wednesday, Thursday. In fact, in non-coordinated workplaces, I often hear employees and managers tell me, you know, I came in, mm-hmm. I spent much of the day on Zoom, there's low energy, I'm really frustrated. Like, what the heck did I come in for? On the other hand, there are people saying, look, it's all about choice and flexibility. You've got to let people give the choice. You're prescripting, you're mandating days, you're taking it away. My take is, look, I get choice is important, but there's a limit. If you look at what happened pre-pandemic, we told people they basically had to come in Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. No one was allowed to work 6 p.m. to 4 a.m. or, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, like, you know, that's not a thing. Our company is, you know, working week. Post-pandemic, we still work the working week, but I think there needs to be coordination. It doesn't need to be the whole company. So you could have five teams. And in team A, those guys like Fridays because it's a quiet commute they come in. But I think that's the biggest hot button issue I hear. And I think the the forces of coordination are winning this one out, but it's a big battle. Yeah, what's flexed it? Yeah, I would say that's exactly where we ended up falling, even though I love, again, the idea of people making their own choices because... Whenever we have the freedom to choose, whenever we have autonomy and agency, we do better as humans. It gives us the sense of control. It gives us the sense of empowerment and not that we're just a bunch of little children. The company has to decide for us. At the same time, if we want people to be in, to do certain things together in person, it doesn't make much sense to say, well, just choose your own days because then you have certain team members coming in on, let's say, Monday, Tuesday and others on Thursday, Friday. So for us, yeah, we chose those two in-office days, and that is really the day for the whole team to be together. We can also make sure that we use those days very intentionally. So we don't just say, well, you have to be here on Tuesday and Thursday. We really design those days to make sure that there's always something to have people connect beyond just the work, to kind of socialize, to then go through key items together, and then also give people the chance to kind of work focused because just like you said about younger people in the US here in Asia is also pretty common that people have places to work that are not really places to work, meaning that you typically just sit on a small desk in your bedroom and there's, you know, maybe three generations of people walking around in your house. So it can be pretty noisy. So that's then what we offer. So for us, the thing that we landed on and it's working, I would say it's working really well. And I think the team would agree. I think the other thing that we're hearing when we're talking to our customers and we're, when we're seeing like where the traction is for what we're putting out is really around this idea that, again, managers have kind of learned how to manage hybrid and remote teams. It's not that they're like totally new to it. And again, all the things that we're reading in the media around these big issues around productivity and collaboration, when you ask managers themselves, our research from last month, they don't see that problem at all. But they do kind of feel a little bit left alone in the sense that the company is not supporting them to become better managers. And managing now is different from managing a couple of years ago. There are some newer skills that you may need. And I think that's the big thing that we're seeing where, you know, a lot of the logistics maybe are taken care of by the company. But in terms of actually supporting managers to be great hybrid and remote managers, that's where there still seems to be a gap. I love your second point as well, by the way. You know, if I'd gone on that, would be the other key thing to make hybrid work. One is coordination. Two is a sense of purpose when you come in. You're completely right. Having talked to companies about this well, they say they coordinated A and B, they made sure on the day folks are in, there are lots of meetings, trainings, events that seemed like there was a reason for them. 
because that's how it takes off. And one company said, actually, we set it up for two days. Those those two days were packed. People felt vibrant and energized. And actually, in the end, there was demand for a third. And we moved to it. You know, it's, it's funny. On um, I spoke to the board of Panera Bread, mm. and they have a huge uh, business. And they were saying, half our business, you don't tend to see so much as catering to companies. And they said, sales has done okay. It's, you know, it's really down on Monday, particularly Friday. I mean, no one's buying sandwiches on Monday, Friday. But it's way up on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and we're now up. Yeah. And it's kind of like the same story that everyone's work from home Monday, Friday, but they're really keen that when people come in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they're there, they have lunch together, they connect and they bond and so they're just buying them lunch. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And yes, we also buy lunch for the team, which <laughs> I like too, because that's like uh, when I come to the office, at least I know I don't have to think about what to eat. And then on that point about the managers themselves, right? So... What do you see when you're talking to companies in terms of how are they supporting their managers? How are they making sure that the managers have the tools that they need and the skills that they need to manage these hybrid and remote teams? Is that starting to become something that companies care about and invest in? Or is that still kind of something that they just kind of leave to the people and hope it works out? Pray for the best. No, I posted on LinkedIn and you're kind of going to the, you know, the, I totally agree. Again, this is critical. So the third point, I almost call it the Marissa Mayer point. I interviewed Marissa Mayer, mm. CEO of Yahoo, about what happened in 2013. And, you know, I kind of cut to the, the short of it. But she said, basically, look, back then, I'd inherited this fully remote team. And I had no performance management tools. I just couldn't tell what they were doing. In the office, when you have folks working in the office, you can kind of watch them. Look, it's not great. It's four out of 10 management. But you can see how they're at their desk, typing away at their computer, doing something, you know, vaguely constructive. So when they're fully remote, you have no idea. Mm -hmm. She said, look, the thing you really need to make fully remote a success is performance evaluation tools. And to be clear, this is not surveillance. It's not watching keystrokes and screenshots. Yeah. It's saying, you know, Nick, have you met your sales targets? Have you produced your reports or your customer performance? But whatever your performance is, for me, that might be, say, teaching and research. Mm -hmm. If you have good performance evaluation systems that can evaluate people, you know, half day by half day or over longer time spans, then you're in good shape for remote work. Then you say, you know, Nick, you can work from Monday, Friday, week out, but I'm going to evaluate you and I'm going to, you know, make sure that you're meeting your objectives. If you are, that's great. You're the boss. If you want to go play golf in the morning and make it up in the evening, that's fine. But if you're not making it, then, you know, we're going to have to reconsider that. And as an employee, that's better too. You know, the biggest upside of remote work or working from home on any given day is I avoid the commute. Upside number two you hear is the flexibility to do things like pick your kid up from school, yeah. you know, maybe go shopping when it's quiet, go to the dentist, play a round of golf, whatever you do, and then make up for it in the evenings. And that is also very valuable. You can only do that if you're being evaluated and outputs. You can't do that if somebody's clock watching you. And it's such a more, again, to me, it goes back to that point of like, we're treating employees, we're treating our team members as grownups. Totally. And we're saying, this is an agreement. I pay you every month. And in return, I expect some outputs, but I'm not going to micromanage you on when you come to work and how you do your work. Because at the end of the day, everyone has different hours of peak productivity. And I think they're shifting too. When I was younger, my peak productivity was uh, 10 p.m. until 2 a.m. Now it's uh, 6 a.m. until uh, 10 a.m. Maybe it's almost flipped. But you want people to do their best work when they feel like they can do their best work. And if they're doing that in between other things, that makes total sense. So that real work-life integration. I completely agree. It's funny on the aging thing, you meant to have the same thing. I'm 50. Geez, 20, 30 years ago, I used to work late into the night. Now, you know, I remember my, I was amazed when I was a kid, how my grandparents always got up so early. And, you know, I don't have grandkids, but I'm now, uh, yeah, you know, I get up. I like to get up early. I do fine. I feel fantastic. Like when I come back from the, the UK, 
I'm in America. I keep waking up in California because the jet lag at like 4 a.m. Oh, yeah. And by 8, I'm like, wow, I've done four hours. I feel great. And then, of course, by 7 p.m., I'm exhausted and pass out. But it actually works quite well. Yeah, but it speaks to the right point, which is that, again, everyone has their own life going on. And we used to be forced to just show up at 9 a.m. and start to work no matter how we felt. And now you can accommodate much more of how you're feeling and shape the work towards that. It makes total sense. And I think on that note, right, as people are having these kind of, you know, days where they have micro productivity, as Microsoft calls it, where you choose pockets of time where you're working and then maybe you do something that's more personal. How do you make sure that people can collaborate? How do you make sure that you don't have this second class citizens problem where, you know, the people in the office have one experience, people at home have another experience. Some companies are now experimenting with sort of core working hours. That's the couple of hours that you expect everyone to be online so that if someone asks a question over Slack that it gets answered. What do you see uh, from your conversations and your research? That is the real mix there. So firstly, for hybrid workers, generally you have, you know, core hours is the office days. So I think of a standard company, Tuesday to Thursday, you're all in the office. So for a start, those days are taken care of, you know, a lot of urgent business gets moved to them. Monday, Friday tends to be more relaxed. There's a bunch of evidence in science that intermittent working can be useful. And like, as in problem solving as a group, then quietly thinking than problem solving as a group mm. is more effective than. So that's kind of one of the reasons for it. I can certainly see a, a logic to uh, core hours if you want it. You want to check in with your employees, but you could easily say, look, we're going to have, you know, 10 till 12 and, you know, mm. two to four or something. You want to make sure that it doesn't, on the other hand, block employees that maybe want to do something like, you know, go play tennis or something. I have nothing against that as long as they get their job done. So it sounds like, you know, I'm encouraging people to play tennis. You flip it around. Imagine you're big into, you know, picking your, I have, you know, we talked earlier, I have a, uh, before the call, but I have a seven-year-old and it's nice to have to pick her up from school. I feel totally happy to spend 45 minutes doing that and watch 45 minutes less TV at night. That's like a choice and I happily make that choice. Totally. That's the kind of thing you want employees to be able to do. On the other hand, I get you do want them to be available if you need to. I actually spoke to David Solomon, the CEO of Goldman's a while back, and he said, look, one of the big things about why certain roles have been getting back into the office is they just respond much faster. Hmm. He said, "Fun of the trader, the trading systems, the computer systems that support these people trading literally billions of dollars a day, if they go down, you are losing enormous amounts of money. And if someone's in the office, they respond instantly. So there are some roles where the response is so critical. You know, think of an airline pilot. Yeah. An airline pilot, I want them in the office as in sat in that cockpit rather than remote. Because if, you know, there's something going wrong, I want them responding now. I don't want them responding 20 minutes later when it's too late. So there are a range of jobs and roles where response is critical. There are others where it's less critical. It makes total sense. Okay, and then we have to obviously tackle the big question of offices and real estate and office space. So with all of these new models and people working from home more, and we just talked about Monday and Friday, Panera doesn't have to deliver any sandwiches to the office because there's no one there. How will this impact offices? Are companies, as we thought during the pandemic, actually going to downsize their offices? Is everyone moving to a kind of hoteling system, where do we sort of see the dust settling when it comes to the physical space that people used to work in? Well, so firstly, I think it's about right, this concept of peak office. We probably, at least in Europe and the US, may have reached the peak of you know office square footage. And Asia is still growing a lot, so that may be different. But secondly, we know there's what's called the donut effect. About a million people in America have moved out of big cities into the suburbs as they 
and more hybrid, similar things in Europe and Asia. Actually, I've been looking at data from MasterCard. You look at where people are spending on their credit cards and they're shifted out to the suburbs. So huge city center offices are much emptier than they used to be. Mm. The nice ones are not doing so badly because if you're, you know, Goliath National Bank or whatever huge company and you want folks in for hybrid, you want them into somewhere nice. What's not done very well is kind of nasty old-fashioned offices. Some of that stuff's been converted to residential, which is good. I don't think it's apocalyptic. What I do think will happen is there's not going to be much construction of office buildings for maybe next, you know, five, 10 years that really slow down while the current slot stock of offices slowly dissipates. If you're owning a lot of office buildings in the center of big cities, yes, you've lost money. You know, radical change tends to generate a lot of winners and losers. Hmm. But I don't think it's the end of the office world. And yes, they're a bit more empty. I mean, Fridays are gone. So, you know, Ross, the head of uh, Bornado, this va- vast American real estate company, said they'd just given up on Fridays. Given so up on Fridays. <laughs> yeah, he said Friday is dead. That was his exact word. So you're now looking at a, a three-phase week, Monday to Thursday when people are typically often at work, Friday when they're working but at home, and Saturday, Sunday. And apparently restaurants' biggest night is now Thursday night. Thursday night. Because Friday, mm-hmm. people work from home Friday, but they also tend to start a little later. Right. You know, it's always what was radical as what happened in 2020. We're back to a more moderate right. rate of change. But yes, you know, I personally would not be building any new offices and big city centers for a while unless, you know, maybe they're growing like crazy, like, you know, maybe Bangkok or, you know, I don't know which cities in the, you know, there are certain Asian cities particularly that are growing or some in Africa are growing very fast. But otherwise, I, you know, I'd be nervous of that market. Definitely, definitely. And, and do you then see that, again, if people are coming in pretty consistently, let's say two, three days per week, that everyone just keeps their own desk and they keep their photo frame on that desk and they go to their assigned desk or? Yeah, that's what I say. There are two models. Yeah, again, the world is much more complicated. Why don't I just give you the 50,000 or 30,000 foot version? There are two models. One is, so a hybrid, we all come in, let's say Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We all keep our desks. Upside is simple works. Downside is you're not saving on any space. Mm-hmm. Model B is you say, right, team A, your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, team B, your Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, team C, your Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, etc. Upside, you save a bunch of space. You could save, you know, whatever, 40% of space at maximum. Downside is now everyone's going to have a clean desk every day. You've got to click because somebody may take your desk. Second downside is somebody's going to have a Friday. Someone's going to have a Monday. And these people often aren't very happy about it. Third downside, if you ever want four teams to work together, you may find there's no common day. There's just, you know, there's no mm-hmm. day they all work. And, you know, fourth downside is it, if it seems unfair, what I've heard is people say, well, we're going to change it about. So not everyone's going to have Friday indefinitely. But then you've got this nightmare of, look, I'm trying to organize childcare. And, you know, for the next six months, it'll be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Then it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's just So it actually gets really quite complicated. And so in the end, most companies I talk to are saying, Maybe we'll go to that scheduling model, but for now, have your own desk. Now, there are some, interestingly enough, that downsized so much during the pandemic that they can't do that anymore, and they're kind of struggling a bit. So who was that? I, was talking, I think it might have been Bloomberg or the Wall Street Journal, or some journalist, or maybe the New York Times I was talking to that said, mm. there are now more people, or the FT, there are more journalists than there are desks. And they said, you've got to come in early to grab them. Otherwise, there's no desk. So it's clear, and I've heard this off three, four companies, that corporate real estate guys got really enthusiastic about downsizing in 2021. And now they want people back from hybrid. They've discovered you're only doing 60% of the days, but they're all on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. So, you know, pick your poison. They- but look, at the very minimum, we're no worse off than before. If you just hold the same office space, give everyone the same desk, they just work from home Monday, Friday, it's no worse off. And also to be clear, 
pre-pandemic, we didn't use offices on Saturday, Sunday. We didn't use them from six exactly six a.m. So I know it's not that radical, actually. Exactly. When you said that the landlords are saying, well, Fridays are dead. We, you know, we never used to worry that Saturdays and Sundays are dead, right? That's just implied. So maybe there's just a new reality. So Nick, I know you have to get back to uh, other obligations, more important ones than this interview. So really want to thank you for your time. Just wanted to end with two very quick questions. Number one is you talk obviously a lot about remote work, but I've seen some amazing stats come out of your research. I want to just kind of ask, do you have any favorite stat, maybe an, an odd one that came out of your research? I mentioned one that I had today because I, it did, you know, I, we were talking about LinkedIn and Twitter. It didn't take off that much, but I thought it was pretty shocking, actually, which is we asked people, what would happen if you were sick? So actually, no, I'll be more precise. We asked people, we started 10,000 Americans. We asked them, were you sick at all last week? And 600 said yes. Mm. And we asked them, what did you do? in terms of work and the options were work from home go into work not work at all mm. and for those that could not work from home 75 percent said they're going to work anyway which is pretty horrifying yes that they're sick and heading in anyway for those that could work from home it's still a shockingly high 35 percent said they're going anyway but another 35 percent said they work from home and the rest of they wouldn't work so that stat is if you want to you know head off future pandemics future infections even just you know little local flus and things work from home particularly some flexibility is a great idea because it stops x coming in and infecting the rest of the office absolutely yeah that's shocking and both again just another maybe undiscovered benefit of hybrid and remote work and then the very last one if there was one thing that you wanted to communicate to the world one wish you have for humanity something that you could put on a big billboard for people to see what would it be i mean i think it's odd that the pandemic led us to have this enormous increase in work from home, but it's been pretty incredible. Mm. So for companies, it's actually been a big boom because you can have happier employees, lower turnover rates, save a lot of office space. For all of us as employees, it's an enormous boom. I mentioned before, people value hybrid is about the same as an 8% pay increase. And for our families, you know, I spend much more time at home now because of that, see my kids. Mm. And then finally for the environment, I'm trying to calculate up the numbers, but it looks like the net effect is pretty positive from the huge reduction in commuting and a lot of business travel. So interestingly enough, commutes are down, leisure travels back to pre-pandemic levels. Business travel is still down because people aren't traveling for that one hour meeting, they're doing it on Zoom. So, you know, if there is any silver lining, I feel very positive that this work from home revolution has been amazingly good. And it makes me wonder what else is out there lying undiscovered. Mm. You know, another one as a parent of kids is, you know, the three month summer holiday. You know, this came about from the fact that, you know, 100 years ago, you used to have the kids out of school to harvest the fields. But, you know, none of my <laughs> kids do have never met <laughs> Yeah, they're harvesting the fields anymore. And it seems like an inefficient use of schools. And, you know, I'm sure we could organize for parents. You got to, I mean, it's always a headache in the summer to deal with camps and stuff. So uh, it has to be a better way well, to do that rather than the kind of Victorian system of vast summer breaks. Yes, absolutely. Okay, great. Nick, thanks so much for being on. Thanks for sharing your insights. And we'll make sure to uh, link your LinkedIn, especially, and also your website in the show notes so that people can discover more of your research and your findings. Thanks so much for being on. Good, Dan. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. So that was my conversation with Stanford professor Nick Bloom. Starting this season, I thought I'd spend just a few minutes after the interview summarizing some of the key learnings and how we can apply Nick's insights to our work as leaders of modern teams and companies. 
So what are some of the key insights that we can apply from this wealth of knowledge? First, that we don't have to be so dogmatic about in-office versus hybrid versus remote. As Nick said, most companies combine all three with certain people mostly working in the office, some working on certain days and some working from home. The second insight that I captured is that we should ignore the media. Just as Nick said, we should focus on data over anecdotes. So the next time that we hear some story about Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, just remember that Nick said that these are elite CEOs running massive companies and that they are a very tiny fraction of the population. Nick's panel data and other sources like Castle, on the other hand, which measures actual swipe-ins into the office, are flat in 2023. People are not returning more than before, no matter what the media says. Insight number three is that we should offer remote days. Again, we hear a lot about productivity, but no matter what we read in the press, Nick's research clearly shows that there is no real negative impact on productivity from working from home. And as he said, offering working from home is a huge benefit. Employees value it about the same as an 8% pay increase. So for company, there's really no reason not to offer remote because hybrid and remote work reduces quit rates and makes hiring easier. The fourth insight that I captured is that we should really make office days much more intentional. Don't let people return to the office just to be on Zoom calls. As Nick said, focus on one-on-ones, mentoring, group meetings, problem solving, training, presentations, etc. People come back to the office to meet other people. This also ties to Nick's point about one of the remaining challenges of hybrid work. We need to get better at coordination and making sure that the right people are together on the right days. Number five is that offices won't disappear. There will be certain roles and certain functions that will always remain on site and therefore the office will not disappear. But those offices will have to be good enough for us to want to spend time in them, which means bad news for ugly old offices and office buildings. And the second to last insight is that I see now a great opportunity for global employees. If we can make jobs remote, people in, for example, Southeast Asia in this region can take much better paid jobs while working where they live. And this is an amazing opportunity. It's also really interesting to think about how we measure remote, because for example, the number of remote jobs may increase in the US, while the number of people saying that they work remotely in the US will decrease as these roles shift to other markets. And the very final insight that I captured is that we should focus on outcomes and not on keystrokes. So Nick calls this his Marissa Meyer point, referring to when she took over Yahoo when it was a fully remote company. But we need a better framework for measuring and evaluating good work to manage our hybrid and remote teams successfully. And just to be clear, as Nick reminded, this is not about surveillance. It's not about watching keystrokes. It really is about having honest conversations about goals and how to achieve them. If we have this in place, we don't have to worry about people's productivity. We don't have to worry whether people spend time with their kids or even play golf in the morning, as long as the desired outcomes are achieved. And to me, that's great. And that's a much more grown up version of work. So those were some of my learnings from this interview. And I hope that they serve as a reminder or even a wake up call to some to follow the data and to focus on giving people more flexibility to mold work to their lives rather than vice versa. 
Let's start with people and then design work schedules and work days and offices around them. See you in the next episode.